morning, people of the internet. You're listening to Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, a podcast where we discuss the movie Gross Point Blank one minute at a time. I'm your co-host, Dev. And I'm the other co-host, Hugh. And on today's show, we will be looking at Minute 17, which takes us from uh, Dr. Oatman's office through Grocer's office, which gives Dev a lot of chance to talk about offices. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and moves us just that little bit closer to Gross Point itself. Joining us today on today's show, as and all this week, is uh, Catch You Later, GPB fan extraordinaire. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I feel like I should be getting like soliciting for job offers for commercial realty at this point. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it, it feels like I'm just talking about commercial realty throughout this entire film. And I'm not entirely I mean, sure why. One with the obsession. I mean, you're the one who said that you didn't think the one, the the, the his original office actually exists in real life. So you know, I mean, this is just a logical extension of it. It does feel like one of those things that you only ever see in movies. I have to My, say, like, hmm. if we're going to talk offices, what, where the hell is is Grocer? Like, I've never been able <laughs> to make sense of that. I thought he was living in like some kind of. Um, Howard Hughes-esque like clean room at one point because it looks like there's an air duct to the back and it looks like plastic sheeting which I later realized on review watches is actually glass but really yeah. fucking filthy yeah. glass <laughs> so gross. And he's got all of the blinds closed he looks like he's kind of living like I did when I was a teenager in like as little natural light as possible I mean is it possible that he's in one of those like converted trailers like you see on building sites that are offices Oh, that's a good call. Oh, that would make total sense. I'd never. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're, he's yeah, you're he's so, right. so crammed in against the window. He's got that junky old PC, and you know, just I don't know that that kind of. Why else would you have all the the, the you know the glass and everything be all be closed in? I don't know. I I just don't imagine him being the kind of guy to go out of his way to rent like a good quality office like yeah. Martin did. Martin's yeah. office is the one that you think is Martin's office is the one you expect to see Dr. Oatman at, right? Like we were saying before that oh, we I, I can well imagine that Oatman is like in the same building to to his great horror, you know. And that Martin just walks out the door, just walks down the corridor and goes in and he's like, done it, you know, can't get away from him. But yeah, Gross is definitely in something a lot cheaper. A lot cheaper. And and we can also tell immediately, like Grosser does not have uh, a secretary. Like, no, <laughs> he's he doesn't have Marcel. He's he's doing all of it himself. He's at the computer. He yeah. he's he's very much the kind of you know I, I I'll run everything myself. Yeah, he's got the kind of what looks like the takeout bag of food. Like yeah, desk. like everything about Grocer just makes me think kind of slightly dysfunctional, divorced detective. <laughs> as I've said before, like <laughs> everything about his vibe just yeah. screams that. Yeah. I like to think that if um, you were shooting this movie today, that his setup would look exactly the same. Yeah, like, it, it would still be the clackety, you know, it wouldn't be newer tech. It would be that. Yeah. That is the newer tech. Still rocking the CRT people yeah. the screen. And, yeah. yeah, no nice monitors for him. Yeah. <laughs> Which version of Windows do you think you'll be on? <laughs> I mean, this has got to be like DOS 3.0 or 3.1. I, I think it says, does it say 2.5 at the top on the left and corner of the screen? Oh, we're going to have to Now we have to check. and find out. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Preparations have begun in good faith. 
Com V Com V two point five. Com V two point five. I'm not sure that's the OS. No, 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 no. That's that's the connection because it says at the other end connect at fourteen four hundred board. Um. So that's that's just his uh, internet connection. The war games font. When I know, right? Um, what's the name of the Sandra Bullock movie? What the net? The net. When was that released? Uh, I seem to recall within a few years of this, because I saw both of these in the cinema. So uh, the net was 19- Oh no, the net's two years before this. Oh wow! So, so I think that kind of underscores that Gross is already using fairly old tech because. Yeah, I mean, Sandra Bullock is using significantly nicer things that yes. that's two years earlier than this, and this is a time when tech is advancing pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Ninety-seven, obviously, Windows ninety-five was already in existence, so and he's yeah. definitely not using Windows ninety-five. No, uh, exactly. I um, have an iMac. That's all I know. That, <laughs> that's my. <laughs> I don't know DOS window things. <laughs> I, I think this is a guy who kind of started this job in the early 90s and just has not wanted to advance with the times at all well it was also a matter of cost as well because like i still at that point i still had my amstrad from 18 from 1990 i still had it and was using it at, at that 97 because i couldn't afford anything else well, and i'm Windows sure that's in, not it, a problem for grocer though well yeah but he's not that kind of guy is he he's not the kind of guy who's gonna, go. it, it does yeah. what it needs to do i don't need a new one. yeah yeah exactly exactly you can tell by the phone that he picks up as well to call, <laughs> to call the fbi i like that he can just call the fbi yeah that's kind of funny right like uh, this yeah. comes back to the point we made you guys were making last episode that maybe there is some sort of semi um uh uh you know, sanctioning of these guys. I mean, it feels like you have to have established a network like that to be able to operate in this field for any length of time, right? These are not guys that are coming up the other way, right? That are coming up through the mob or through, like, career criminal contacts. These are guys that Mm -hmm. have come the official way in, right? Like, so, so, you know, they're not mob hitters. Their connections are not with the mob directly, I'm sure mm-hmm. they establish them over time as, as you know, those organizations look for contracts. But these guys have definitely started on the official path and will have to maintain some of those relationships to be able to, mm. to keep operating, really, right? I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? You know, there's going to be... Uh, there's going to be crimes that they commit as hits that they don't want investigated as hits. And if if the person is you know, sufficiently enough of a dirtbag in the eyes of the law, then they can presumably convince somebody to not go too far down the road of investing, and especially if they went, went in the army together or knew each other some way or somehow. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it is interesting when you say about, you know, these networks and they're coming at, they're coming at it the, the, the other way, because one of the things I discovered, oh, crikey, must have been a few weeks, uh, a couple of months ago, maybe, not even that, um, teaching uh, Kennedy's assassination in school and doing... Uh, every year I find myself doing more research because there's always more to read and stuff to look at. But I, one of the things I didn't realise in periphery to all of this is that the famous uh, incident of the KKK killing uh, civil rights people in Mississippi, which became the movie Mississippi Burning, 
with mm-hmm. Willem Dafoe and Gene Hackman. The original incident, in, uh, the FBI were having such were doing such an in- terrible job of trying to track down the the murderers, not least because of the local office being full of people who were pro, if not members of the KKK, that they ended up using a for, a mob assassin who had turned informant two years earlier. And they went to prison, got him to help, got, got him out, got him to go and put the lean on these people and use his techniques to get them the information they needed and then put him back in. And it's like, wait, this really happens? You know, like like I was reading this going, wait, they actually used a known mob assassin. I mean, he was he'd gone down for eight murders, but he was rumored to have committed between 24 and 36 before he turned state's evidence. And the FBI were like, oh, that's the perfect guy to send (laughs) after the KKK. (laughs) But there's the fact that they were, you know, I mean, yeah, okay, it was the 60s. But even so, I I suspect there is a I suspect the fictional tradition beloved of television in particular of um uh using people in in criminal arenas for law enforcement i suspect there is something there at the root of some of these ideas and i think your point is is well made that these guys are already starting out as part of an approved government service so you know i imagine some of them go into this sort of illegal way and some people go into the more legal way of using their skills and why, why would they not stay in touch? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I, I should also apologize because we have like jumped right into Grocer in his office and we've completely skipped the best line of the oh, entire. That's okay. No, but that's okay. That's so okay because now we can take our time with it. <laughs> let's, let's rewind back to that and, okay. yes. and, and yes. uh, talk about, you know, going out into the world and giving things a shot. Or not. Or not. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, well, where do you want to start? Uh, I mean, we left uh, the last episode, we left the minute at where um, the interview with, well, interview, the uh, session, therapy session between Dr. Oatman and Martin Blake is coming to an end or, you know, with with a clear decision being made. and, 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 And I find it ironic that, I don't think it crosses Martin's mind that when he says, I just want a simple answer, should I go to my reunion or not? And Oatman goes, yes, that Oatman is saying this to get him the hell out of his head straight away. Mm-hmm. Like the way he looks, the way Blank looks at him just doesn't seem to, it doesn't register. It comes back to what you were saying last episode, Catcher, about this whole business of, you know, what kind of guy was he before all of this? You know, Exhausting. Always... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and and did he, did his lack of understanding of other people, his lack of empathy, did it, was that always the case? You know, um, but yes, first opportunity, and so uh, I'll let you guys have the the great line to say. It. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm not sure we need to repeat it. I feel like everybody who's ever seen this film will probably remember this line. Yeah, but for line? the ones who haven't and are listening to us, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Oh, I'm not saying the oh. line. You say the line. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it requires two writers dialogue. Well, I mean, it, it basically, look, here's the thing, right? Oatman says, see what it feels like. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, what's her face? Debbie. See what it feels like. Yeah. And Martin says... All right, I'll give it a shot. 
Yes, and then without with with without pausing for breath. No, no, don't give it a shot. Don't shoot anything. And it's, it's and it, and he says it while shaking hands, and he says it like it's a perfectly normal thing to say, even though. It's quite clearly not. <laughs> and it's also said without a hint of being funny. There's no, like, air quotes in his delivery. It's just it's Arkin being Arkin in the best possible way, just being brutally honest. Don't shoot anything. No. It's... it's I, oh, I so think cool. that um, that's where I get the idea that this is called a dark comedy and other things, but that I can almost talk myself into it being a slice of life, a dark one, a weird one, but I could see that just by the way that everybody plays everything so straightforward. There aren't Mm. any winks. There aren't any air quotes. There aren't any eye Mm. rolls. It's all played straight up and down. And that's the way that I could see it as, as a slice of life in a weird way. I mean, in that sense, I think it's a sort of thing I don't think I've brought up before on the cast is um, I feel like the most important reference for Detroit in crime fiction is Elmore Leonard, right? The great, the late, great Elmore Leonard, who was an incredible fiction writer and uh, started out in Westerns and then many of which were made into great films um, and then gradually shifted into writing hard-boiled thrillers uh, somewhere around the late 60s, early 70s, which, again, eventually started being filmed as well. And he's widely regarded as the preeminent influence on Quentin Tarantino, who mm-hmm. kickstarts this entire 90s wave of indie crime picks that we mentioned in the previous episode. And so Leonard's style is all over this era of film. Um, you know, the the, 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 the the one that is an actual adaptation of one of his uh, books at the time is um, Be Cool. Uh, sorry, I get shorty. Um, that, that's one of his. And the sequel, Be Cool, was also, which is ironically, the book Be Cool is his version of what it was like to make Get Shorty, as in <laughs> what how awful, how awful the Hollywood experience was. Uh, anyway, um, Leonard is one of my heroes. I've, I've met him um, very briefly, and I'm you know really thrilled at that. And um, but one of the greats, and I've read everything pretty much everything's done but i haven't mentioned it in relation to this film because i didn't feel like you know i feel like they make detroit because we know we, that they don't film you know anywhere near detroit itself we know that it's all filmed that it's not actually that kind of film but then that's what a lot of the productions of his books did was they just moved the, the books elsewhere this is very common in most filmmaking industries you know you just set it where you can film it um and and actually, it's only until you get to Jack, uh, not even Jackie Brown, it's out of sight that you get an Elmore Leonard film set in Elmore Leonard's Detroit, like the way it should be. He's got both Florida and Detroit. Um, and I feel like this is this film knows this. I feel like somewhere mm. in the DNA of this film is this awareness of why he has to go back to this particular place, in addition to the slice of life element of John Cusack and his mates. Right, rewriting the script, making it about where they came from, and adding in all the music, and you know, making it personalizing it. I feel like there is also this kind of yeah, but this is also the a town where people or a part of the world where people expect violence, but they don't expect it in our nice suburban area. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and and I think that's where I can really buy into your idea of the slice of life because. Mm-hmm. 
it, this is this sits in the same kind of territory for me in its own way, without being as extreme as Hot Fuzz. Oh. Right, like, like, like Kim, my partner Kim, always jokes that Hot Fuzz is a documentary because it is made like two two towns over from where she grew up, <laughs> right? And and like the accents and everything, like when she gets angry, that's what she sounds like, right? She can do those accents and stuff. Um, and and yeah, I mean, like we even recognize the train stations that he get that the cop stops at in the earlier part of the film when he's on his way out to the country because we're like, oh yeah, that's the one that's three three stops down from where we live now, you know. Um, but that whole idea of like taking a normal setting and then pushing it, mm-hmm. you know, pushing hard to make it a Hollywood thriller kind of thing, except that doesn't quite fit with the world you're putting it in. And that's right. right. And I, this is doing that already. I feel like this is doing that already. I, and I think to catch his point about this being slightly slice of lifey mm. is that unlike a lot of black comedies and, and, you know, Hot Fuzz is a good example of this. Um, it, there's no, there's not much, I should say, exaggeration in the yeah. film. There's, there's not much uh, over dramatizing, over reaction. Um, mm. You know, there, there is in a few places. I think the ultimate blow up um, and the end sequence as well, where you know the the action goes upper level mm-hmm. yeah but everything else is played very low-key a lot of it is very dialogue-y it it plays out like you know uh just a kind of fairly level-headed show really i mean there's this thing about when it, it, when you're talking about what things that push we did say that the 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 scene where Grocer and Blank meet each other out on the edge of LA to talk, and the way that they're edging towards each the the the, the, the Sergio Leone dance of death, except we're mm-hmm. we're much better, you know, we're much sicker now, and actually we don't have to show the gun kind of thing, except that neither of them is they're just so twitchy, and that yeah. we said at the time that's verging on overplayed. And I think mm-hmm. that's where they push it. I think every time you get round to the action, they push it. But then I'm reminded of of of, um, uh, of his secretary's reaction to him in 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 the office, right? Like the way she that's creeps true. around. Yeah. And actually, yeah. it's incredibly carefully done. When, where, how? I mean, again, I don't know who who do we thank for this. I mean, we know that the director <laughs> shot multiple takes of each scene. We know he allowed them to do it. He said, "Here's a straight take of the script." We've got that one, right? Let's do a totally funny one, right? Okay, now go nuts, and we and he sold it, sold it all together. The editing suite. So I don't know if we have to thank Armistice for this. I'd like to thank him for it certainly, but I feel like that's the skill because when you look at his earlier film Miami Blues, that's the thing he knows how to do. He knows how to create that balance, yeah. um, and and as you say. He the reason you know the action. We'll talk about it later, obviously, when we get there. But I think part of the reason that the action also is kind of steers between the comedy of of, of, of the ultimate and and the kind of more ramped up reality of, of the later part of the film. I think that has a lot to do with understanding that the stakes are being raised both emotionally and therefore the action has to match that. Otherwise the action means nothing. It's the yeah. whole business of making action out of character and character out of action. You know, yeah. Martin has to fight harder and dirtier and for longer to get what he wants. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's part of the joy of this film is the escalation, you know, where the film starts off at, it's not where it ends up and it's very cleverly done. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Anything else on this minute? I think we've, we've talked about the computer. We've talked about uh, the office. Um, We've talked about, Oh yes. And we talked about the FBI. Now, just briefly and interestingly, because we've talked a lot about it, I just want to say one thing, which is um, I find it interesting how Grosser is more than willing to give up Martin, even though he knows what the risks are. I get the feeling like it's almost, it's not quite a game for him, but in the same way that he went and messed up that earlier hit, I feel like he's, he, this is his way of playing a game with Martin. Like He doesn't actually think they're going to get Martin. He's just like, hey, you took you, you, you gazumped my job. Boom. Here's some trouble for you. But he kind of figures Martin's going to yeah. deal with it. I, I feel like that, that, that I don't know. I, I don't know what you guys think. I, that's how I'm reading the way Acroy delivers the lines. I also think that there's uh, sociopathy at play, right? Like, I don't think he, I, I think he is reaching for, for some way to retaliate at mm-hmm. Martin. And that retaliation is, well, I'm going to call the cops on you because mm. you you took the job that I I was gonna gonna do, mm. um, and and it's there's very I don't think he ever really thinks about the consequences of anything he does particularly. <laughs> um, yeah, he, he, yeah, he just has has no real concept on like e- empathizing with with anything that anybody else experiences particularly, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and so he's just like you know. This is this is revenge, and it makes me feel good. So I'm going to do this. <laughs> That's what I yeah. think it is. Yeah. I think it just feels good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and they also knew each other in a professional capacity. Yeah. I mean, there's history, and sometimes I think it's on Gross's part, Grosser's part, that he just enjoys it. Mm-hmm. That this is just oh, fun for him. Yeah, it's almost bullying, but in their world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and that's why he wants to be the top dog in his union, yeah. right? And and I I think he's kind of very much that way. And he he's you know he's it's not like he's um, acting on any sense of kind of trying to improve his own position, right? Because right. we see at the end of the movie that you know he's the one as much as anybody that takes out the FBI with no yeah. thought to the consequences of that because there will be consequences. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, maybe not for him because he doesn't get the opportunity to experience them. But um, it's yeah, it it very much feels like he's just a guy that lives in the moment and and Mm. has no thought for anyone or anything else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Should we speak speak about Ambassador Bridge? Oh. No, you please do. You guys do because neither of us have. No, okay. I've not. I mean, I've flown over it, but no, I've not been to Detroit. But I love the shot. It is a beautiful shot. And, yeah, and we may get a few more clips of it in the start of the next minute. So yeah. maybe let's lead into the next minute and see how it goes because we also see a beautiful um, little uh, B-roll shot of of the uh, cars driving into. Uh, the if, I, point. if I'm remembering right, which um, it feels like they're circling down into Gross Point Blank, and then at the end of the movie, they're coming back out. 
but I don't know if that's a feeling or if that actually happens. I, I think there is some editing to that effect. Okay. That it, it very much feels like, okay, now the story is diving into Gross Point and everything becomes very Gross Point centric. And then at the end of the movie, as they're driving out, everything zooms back out to there being a bigger world. I definitely feel like there is an element of that happening. Yes. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> All right. Okay, this was Minute 17 of the Gross Point Blank podcast, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM, featuring your hosts, co-writers, and co-producers, Dev Savagar and myself, Hugh David. Today's guest, as for every day this week, is the lovely catch, uh, GB, GPB fan extraordinaire. I don't, know, I don't know if I'm ever going to get GPB out in <laughs> a slick way first time. It's uh, so funny. I'm tripping over myself on that one. Uh, you can find them on, uh, where can we find you actually? North Bay Derby. That's where I'll be hanging out. Awesome. And uh, you can catch us at All Good Podcast Players, as well as YouTube, X formerly known as Twitter, artists formerly known as Spotify. All of those are at Debbie Radio and on our website, DebbieRadio.com. And all of those are spelled D-E-B-I Radio. That's Debbie with one B and an I. And if you want to come and chat with us, come and join the Facebook listeners group, Debbie Radio 79.5 FM Fan Club. Once again, D-E-B-I Radio. Sure was clear that all of this was new. Concentrating hard like a little girl. Smoking for the first time.